the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners. We're happy to be with you again for another episode. Yes. We are... um, in the midst of winter, we are, you know, post-Christmas, getting into the winter of the year. And one of the blessings in this time for us in 2022 is the publication of the TOB Institute Press's first book. Yeah. God is Beauty. By Carol Wojtyla, JP2. Yeah. And I'm reading it. And I'm blessed by it, and we've been getting feedback from other people who've been reading, and they are blessed. And there's a particular comment I wanted to share with our podcast listeners, because just so beautiful and encouraging about right. this book. This comment came from another Catholic author, Peter Kraft, who read it and said, This book is not a masterpiece. It is two masterpieces. One is a short retreat by the greatest man of the 20th century about the divine attribute that is the most irresistible, beauty. It is written in a style much clearer and simpler than most of his other writings. The other is a deeply moving and illuminating commentary on it by Christopher West, the world's premier writer on that great saint's theology of the body, which George Weigel, John Paul's biographer, deemed a theological time bomb and perhaps her most important theological gift since St. Thomas Aquinas. Thank you, Peter Kraft. Yes. What a beautiful Thank comment. Thank you, Peter Kraft. Yeah, that, was, that was heartwarming to hear, I must say, because uh, the whole team at the Institute put a lot of work into putting this together, and, and to have somebody with the, just the caliber of mind and thought as Peter Kraft to offer that kind of uh, praise for this work that we finally released was, yeah, it was a blessing to hear. Yeah. Peter Kraft used to teach for us. Gosh, those were the good old days. He has <laughs> since retired. We wish we could still have him on our faculty, but what a, what a great gift Peter Kraft has been to the church. He's written nearly, nearly a hundred books, I think. Um, and yeah, if, if you are not familiar with the work of Peter Kraft, you might want to start with a book called The Philosophy of Jesus which I know has, has blessed many people who have, everybody who's read it has been, I think, deeply blessed by mm -hmm. that book. Do you have any updates from the TOB Institute for us? Well, as usual, I'd invite everybody to check out the links below on our upcoming courses. We have a couple online coming up. We have Theology of the Body and the Marian Mystery, my favorite to teach where we do a deep dive into who that woman is and why it's important to know who this woman is. In fact, everything the Catholic Church teaches about Mary has one goal, to uphold everything the Church teaches about Christ. When we get Mary wrong, we get Jesus wrong. That's why it's so important to get Mary right, and that's what this whole course is about. I love it. And the other course we're offering online very soon is Theology of the Body Level 1, I know there are listeners out there, faithful listeners of our podcast, who have still not made the plunge, the deep dive into Theology of the Body Head and Heart Immersion Course. 
So if you're feeling a little nudge right now, click that link below to learn more about this online opportunity. I have a question from one of our patrons. Very good. Let's start there. This is from Pete. Hello, Pete. I was recently dating a woman and things were broken off by her. The main reason for the breakup was because she felt like I wasn't leading her deeper in the Catholic faith. Admittedly, her journey with the faith is further along than mine. That being said, I truly believe I have a decent faith life and I am improving on it daily. I know an important part of any relationship is to lead your partner deeper into the faith. But how can I do this when their faith is already deeper than my own? I've always thought that to lead your partner deeper in the faith meant doing things like praying together, holding each other accountable, working together to avoid temptation, and offering encouragement to continue growing spiritually. But I'm thinking that I am missing something. Can you offer any suggestions? Pete, thank you for your honest question. I'm sorry for the trial that seems to be putting you through. I'm sure you're asking all kinds of questions about what could I have done? What should I have done? And I commend you for just your honesty and desire to, to look at this and say, how can I grow more deeply in my faith? Uh, I'm, I'm reminded because it's just so fresh in all that I've been doing lately, and we were just talking about this in the start of the podcast. I'm reminded of what Carol Wojtyla says at the very end of the retreat he gave in 1962 that we published as God is Beauty. And he says this, and this, this is kind of his, his final charge. This is after a several day retreat. And he says, this is more important than anything. He says, we have to decide one thing. And I'm, I'm quoting him directly here. If we cannot do anything else, even if our resolutions are very shaky, and we are not convinced of their effectiveness, we have to make a decision about one thing, namely prayer. If we choose this one thing, earnest prayer, and he's at this point he's said a lot about what earnest prayer is, and I'll just summarize quickly. Uh, earnest prayer, as Wojtyla unfolds in this retreat, happens in as much as we come to discover what religion is from God's perspective. Uh, when we look at religion from our perspective, we end up with a list of things we think we have to do to fulfill our, quote, religious duties. But he says we true Christianity is, is not what we do for God. It's rather opening our hearts to what God has done for us. And, and this is so contrary to the way we typically think. But let's just zoom in to these words of Jesus, which summarize the whole point. I came not to be served, but to serve. Wow. That, that changes religion from something I have to do to experience what God has done for me, what God has done for me. This is prayer. Prayer is, when John Paul II here says earnest prayer, he's talking about opening our hearts to let Jesus serve us, 
to let Jesus in, to let Jesus save us, to let him do what he wants to do, love us, right? Religion is not about our love for God primarily. It is primarily about his love for us. Our love is always and only a response. So we can only say, not God, I love you, but I love you too. And when prayer becomes the lived experience of I love you too, in other words, we are opening to his love, now our lives are getting on the right track. So that was all an aside to fill in what, what Wojtyla means when he says, this one thing is critical, earnest prayer, continual prayer. And he has said a lot about continual prayer. It doesn't mean praying prayers all day long. Continual prayer means a constant disposition of opening our hearts throughout our days to God's love for us, right? If we do this, this one thing, earnest prayer, continual prayer, then our resolutions, he says, will also be fulfilled. In other words, everything else in our life will fall into proper place. And foremost, he says, this is even more important than all of our resolutions, all the things we, you know, come up with to do better. First and foremost, if we pray earnestly, we will encounter him, the living God, and we will come to see we will come to be convinced because we will experience for ourselves that this God loves us, that he is seeking us, right? Again, just as an aside, religion is not our seeking of God. True faith, true Christian faith is opening ourselves to the fact that he's seeking us, Boitiwa concludes this way, and then we will walk together with him. In our whole lives, we will walk in his direction. So Pete, that's my advice to you. Let your life become earnest prayer, opening, opening to his love. Everything else will fall into place, my brother. Everything. Mm. Wendy, what are your thoughts? Yes, just I think that's beautiful. I think um, when someone we've been close to ends a relationship, it can be very obviously painful for both people. And I can sense in Pete's question a certain soul searching. Like I've I've received this verdict on myself and I want to know, is it true? Um, verdict means true, true speaking, actually, right? So... Mm -hmm. Is it? Is it a true verdict? And I think the the heart of what your answer is that um, this experience of of the end of this relationship is very a very real experience of the Lord seeking Pete's heart. Yeah. And anytime we go through something very painful, I think it's so important to just ask the Lord to show us when in his own life did he experience this feeling of, of being rejected by someone, by someone who, you know, is giving a, a verdict about him and, and allowing them, knowing that he will show us where he's experienced this and that this very experience can draw us closer to him and um, is 
I think the most essential thing, and I think it sets aside the question of whether, you know, you've somehow failed in some way to fulfill this role. I think that the deeper question is whether you're drawing closer to the Lord in going through this time. Wendy, you, your words, I really believe, are, are being inspired by the Holy Spirit there, because when a, when a verdict, as you said, comes to us from others, uh, we really, really need to turn to the Lord to get His verdict yeah. on our lives, because His verdict is the only one that matters. His verdict is the only one that lasts. And I'm, I'm reminded here of the scene in The Passion of the Christ, which has come back to me, haunted me over and over and over again, where Christ is being condemned. The crowd is screaming at him, crucify him, crucify him, and Pilate is is rendering the verdict to crucify him. And there's this moment uh, that Mel Gibson portrays where Jesus, as all of this screaming from the crowd and the verdict from Pilate comes, Jesus is looking up and he sees the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove hovering and it's exactly this. It's Jesus saying, only the Father's verdict matters. Mm. doesn't matter what anybody else thinks of me or says of me, even if they want to kill me. The truth, the true word, verdict, the true speech, only comes from the Father. Mm. And when the world is, is saying whatever the world might say about us, when others are saying whatever they might say about us, or rendering whatever verdict they might render, if we are in that relationship, and that's the relationship of prayer, right, that I was inviting yes. Pete to, this relationship of what is God's verdict? God's verdict is He loves you and He's pursuing you. Mm. Open your heart to that, brother, and, and the rest of your life will fall into place. And uh, on that note, Pete, since you're a patron, I just want to invite you to, to really plunge in to what we provide our patrons on the on your personal website as a patron. Take the retreats that we've offered our patrons. Uh, watch the videos we offer our patrons. Listen to the talks that we offer our patrons. I think that will really, really help you, Pete, as you, you seek to pursue the Lord uh, more deeply in your life, knowing that that's only your response to Him pursuing you. Our next question is from a listener named Michelle. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Christopher and Wendy. Thank you so much for your show. I find a little bit of healing in every episode and have shared many with my friends and family. Oh, that's so encouraging. Michelle, we do this for you. Bless yes. you. I'm so glad it's reaching your heart. That's really encouraging. My question is this. My husband and I just had our third son and recently got him circumcised. My husband, who is not religious feels that it is important for his boys to resemble him in this and wants them to fit in with their peers. He thinks they will thank us someday for getting it done. I have a hard time with it as it feels wrong to me to inflict unnecessary pain on our children. I'm wondering if you can provide some insight into the symbolism of why this was required for God's people as part of the old covenant and what the church teaching is on this today. Also, would this be a situation where I should put myself under the mission of my husband and allow him to make this decision for our children? I'm trying to understand the proper and practical way of submitting to my husband in marriage when he is not necessarily a man of faith. Bless you, dear Michelle. Gosh, I feel I feel all of this in your heart and how 
how it's stirring this question, and and I, I hope we can give you some some helpful things to think into, to pray into. Uh, Wendy, you and I went through this when you were pregnant with our first. We didn't know if we were having a, a boy or a girl, uh, but we were having the conversations. If we have a boy, will we circumcise our, our children? And this was the common practice when I was born, so I thought, yeah, I'd, I'd want my sons to resemble me just for that sense of identification. And I was for it because I didn't know anything else. And Wendy, why don't you share a little of your side of that? Yeah. And I think it's important also if we come back to the question of the church's teaching and the history of it, but just from the, the practicals, I went through nursing school and so um, and was a nurse. And so I, I witnessed some circumcisions. And what I was taught in nursing school was that there wasn't a health benefit that justifies doing this surgery on every child. I'm not saying that there's never a health reason for circumcision, but it's certainly not a universal need. Um, and so I, when I witnessed the circumcisions that I witnessed, I, I really was alarmed by that um, painful experience that the little boys were going through. And I don't know that every circumcision is done the same way that I saw, but nonetheless, it just registered deep in my heart that if there's no benefit to our sons, I, I don't want to do this. Yeah. And you, you encouraged me to read some articles that you, yes. Had you read them in nursing school yourself? Uh, I read them later. Yes. Yeah. So reading those articles when you were pregnant with our first was quite the eye opener for me. Mm-hmm. It answered some questions I had about my own uh, anatomy that I'll just leave it at that, uh, that were explained by the practice of circumcision and how that can in, in some ways cause various problems. Um, the way circumcision, at least I was born in the late 60s, so the way circumcision was practiced then, I don't, I don't have any knowledge of what goes on now or if it's changed, but uh, like an excessive amount of skin was removed to the point of posing problems. Um, and I won't get into all the details of that. It's just, it's too, too much in this context, but uh, I would encourage you to do some reading. There's even a documentary that I saw. I don't know if it was Netflix or Amazon or what, but I saw it maybe five years ago. Uh, on on circumcision and the movement uh, here in America to to address this pro- the problem that come problems that come with circumcision, I found that documentary maybe a little uh, militant in its drive for change, but nonetheless insightful. Uh, so I if people have questions about this, you could look up that that documentary. I can't remember the exact title of it, but if you just put in documentary on circumcision, I imagine it'll come up. Anyway, we made the decision. This was our decision. We're not saying it's the 100% right decision or everybody should make this decision. But Wendy and I made the decision not to circumcise our children, and I'm very glad we we made that decision. Um, Biblically, just to make this clear, uh, we can talk about the symbolism in a minute in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, there is a big question. Uh, Is circumcision required of the Gentiles who become followers of Christ? And the first pope, uh, in exercising his authority, said no. So circumcision is not 
a requirement of of biblical faith when we when we are speaking of Christian biblical faith. But why? Why this practice in the Old Testament? It's not a minor thing. It's not a minor biblical detail. It was the sign of the Old Covenant. This is very significant. Christ himself was circumcised, and that is very significant. In fact, we just recently filmed, Jason Clark and I just recently filmed a YouTube video where we go into some detail about this because at the first of the year, you know, January 1st is the day, you know, according to the liturgical calendar, it's eight days after Christmas. That's traditionally the day that the church celebrates the circumcision of Christ, January 1st. So in light of that, anyway, Jason and I recently did a video. Uh, you will we'll include the link to that YouTube video in the show notes here. So check that out. Um, but I'll just say this. The promise given to Abraham was offspring. In other words, the promise of the covenant was fruitful nuptial union. Then God says, let's inscribe a sign of this covenant in your flesh. And what is the sign? You can imagine Abraham here, you know, put yourself in Abraham's shoes or Abraham's sandals. And he, okay, God, what do you have in mind? Like, uh, like a, a, a tattoo? Uh, a, a bone through the nose. Uh, what, what, what's this sign inscribed in my flesh? And God, in so many words, says, uh, well, Abraham, you see that dangly piece of flesh at the end of your loins there? I want you to cut it off. You and all of your descendants after you, the male descendants, this is what you must do. This will be the sign in your flesh. Well, what is going on here? Very strange, very odd, unless we enter into the biblical logic. What is the biblical logic? The biblical logic is one of fruitful union. Every time a covenant is established between God and his people, there's the call to be fruitful and multiply. Marriage, the marital union, the fruitful embrace of husband and wife is the main sign throughout scriptures of God's covenant love for his people. This is all consummated in Jesus Christ, and it all comes to climax, fulfillment uh, to its apex in Ephesians chapter 5, when St. Paul says the one flesh union is a great mystery, a mega mystery, and it refers to Christ and the church. But again, why? Why this sign of cutting off flesh uh, right where it hurts, uh, so to speak? It seems to me that God is trying to teach Abraham something, and all his male descendants, something that the woman already knows. The woman already knows that participating in this covenant, fruit, fertility, fruitfulness, union that leads to life, this already demands of the woman the shedding of blood and the sacrifice of her very flesh. It is written in her body. She bleeds every month right, as a sign of this participation in fertility. She is reminded of this. Her body is much more involved. Her flesh is much more involved in the whole process of bringing life into being. The man can plant his seed, have his pleasurable experience there, and, and go his merry way. See ya, thanks, that was fun, and leave the woman uh, abandoned. Uh, this is a constant, constant threat of disordered sexual desire, that the woman gets abandoned with the child. Uh, 
And the problems that that causes, that could be a doctoral dissertation. But what I want to emphasize here is that circumcision is a reminder to the male that to participate in the covenant love of God demands the sacrifice of flesh and the shedding of blood right where it hurts. It seems to me God is saying to Abraham and all his male descendants, if you want to be a true image of my fatherhood, it's going to demand the sacrifice of flesh and the shedding of blood. And it's connected to the loins. This comes to super abundant fulfillment in Jesus Christ. What is redemption and how does it happen? Redemption happens through the consummation of a marriage. And, as Scripture says, there is no redemption without the shedding of blood. When did Christ the bridegroom first shed his blood for us? On the eighth day. And it was the blood of his loins. We shrink from even thinking about it. We don't want to think about it. We certainly don't talk about it. We should, because we can't understand salvation apart from this. Uh, I'll just share one example in the tradition of someone who thought and meditated on this deeply and profoundly, Catherine of Siena. Catherine of Siena speaks of a blood mysticism. I won't get into all that right now, but look it up. It is astounding. What does Catherine mean by blood mysticism? She understood the shedding of blood. She understood the meaning of Christ's circumcision as his wedding himself to humanity. Humanity is the bride. Christ is the bridegroom. In fact, in a mystical experience Catherine of Siena had, the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, gave Catherine of Siena, the bride, a wedding ring. And as strange and odd and maybe even uh, gross as this <laughs> sounds to some people, when we enter into the mystical logic of it all, it's beautiful, it's glorious, it's profound beyond words that the wedding band that Jesus gave to Catherine of Siena, I, I hesitate even to say it because I know people are going to be like, <laughs> and if your reaction is, I just invite you to, to ask the Lord, why does this gross me out? It doesn't gross out Jesus. He gave Catherine of Siena his foreskin as a wedding band in a mystical way. Wow. Um, <laughs> uh, part of me wants to say, you know, if we have a kind of puritanical gross-out towards that, we, 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 we need to just expose our hearts there. This is not about shaming ourselves or condemning us for the ways we just might be grossed out by that, but why are we grossed out by that? There's nothing gross, nothing gross about the way God made our bodies. Uh, and there is something profound and beautiful, and we just have to say, Lord, open my... If we don't see it, we have to say, Lord, open my eyes. Please open my eyes. Anyway, so I go into more detail about circumcision in this YouTube video, and you can mm -hmm. check out the link uh, below. Yeah, I just have a, a few thoughts um, to add here. First of all, that um, as a woman who loves your husband and your sons, certainly 
you're called to pray for them and pray for their healing. So um, it's totally appropriate to pray that any trauma that um, your husband or your sons have experienced in their lives of any kind, that the Lord would heal that. And if the Spirit is nudging you that this circumcision is a traumatic experience, then he's nudging you also to pray for their healing. And and let me just say, as a man, that is incredibly healing. I know you have prayed for me in this way, Wendy, yes. and there was trauma yes. connected with my circumcision as a, a newborn right. that lodges right there. Hello. Yes. That is traumatic. Uh, and yes, prayer of a, of a loving wife in that regard is incredibly powerful. Um, also, regarding the decision to or not to circumcise infant sons, there is no official church teaching on that, whether it should or shouldn't be done. So you are free to make that decision and certainly to seek the the least painful possible way of doing that. You know, what I witnessed, as I said earlier, may not be the only way or the common way that it is done. So certainly if that is the decision to do it, to seek to not have it be traumatic is a worthy goal. Um, and I, I just, I, I noticed that the final question was about whether to place herself under the mission of her husband in, in this regard. And I, I think there's not just a, a set answer to that question, but I, my instinct is that there's more to be gained by honoring your husband's desire in this and also seeking that it would not be traumatizing to your sons, then there there would be to refusing to honor this, partly because it's a time-sensitive thing. Yeah. You can't put it off and say, well, let's keep thinking about it, and maybe when he's eight years old, we'll have him circumcised then. So it's a tricky thing if there's something that you feel like is going to be a journey of learning about and growing, and the time is here. Uh, to know that it's not at least not wrong to agree to it, but with with the things that we've said in in mind. And you might, you know, as you did to me, Wendy, opened my eyes. You might uh, encourage your husband to do some reading and looking into it. I I was fairly adamant initially that I wanted my boys circumcised, our boys, and then you brought to my attention these other sure. perspectives that yes. I had never heard. And it opened my eyes and changed my my mind and my heart about, you know, what I wanted to do as your husband mm -hmm. and together. So maybe uh, do some research and share with him some thoughts. Mm -hmm. And I'll just add this. My understanding in the reading I have done is that the Jewish practice of circumcision in terms of the amount of skin removed was quite different than the practice of circumcision in America that had roots in a kind of puritanical approach to the body, which ended up removing so much skin that there were deformations and scarring and, and real even anatomical problems uh, that came along with that that practice in, in the American way of, of mm, doing yes. it. So I just throw that out as well. It was a really interesting question. Yes, thank you so much for, for sharing yeah. that with us. Yes. Um, and bless you as you continue to prayerfully discern how to, how to move forward. Mm-hmm. Our next question is mostly a comment, but it includes a question from a listener named Mason. Mason says, fill these hearts, God's sex and the universal longing. 
completely changed my life. Wow. Mason, that's, I'm so blessed to hear that. I wrote that book for you. <laughs> That's right. I was just going to explain to our our listeners that that is a book you've written. Um, God has used you to set me free. Woo! Today, at this exact moment, is three months since I last masturbated. That's after seven years of never going for more than a week. God bless you. Buddy. I'm free. Christ set me free. I'm so grateful. Wow. I'm currently a junior philosophy major at Wheaton College and member of the baseball team. I'll be graduating in the spring and getting a master's in counseling at Wheaton beginning next fall. My life has completely changed in the last few months. The most notable change being that I've switched from wanting to go into law towards wanting to give everything in my life to fighting pornography and pleading with the church to talk about sex because they do a terrible job at it. Mm. I have some huge, ridiculous dreams that I genuinely feel that God has put on my heart, the biggest being to run a recovery ranch in Colorado where men can come and work through their sexual brokenness in order to win back their spouses and children and know that they're fearfully and wonderfully made. Wow, Mason. I have a passion for high school and college-age boys and Christian schooling, as well as successful businessmen who have everything but yet feel so empty at the same time. I just wanted to make contact with you. Thank you for your life-changing work and ask for any advice that you could have for me as I step out onto this path of fighting for freedom in my life and in the lives of those around me. Wow, Mason. I celebrate with you joyfully all of these graces in your lives. I, I Obviously, I have no crystal ball as to what your future will hold, but I want to affirm your desire to dream big. And I want to encourage you not to listen to the naysayers. That might be one of the the biggest pieces of advice I could give you. I I had big dreams when I was your age, brother. I still have big dreams. Um, And I had a lot of naysayers. I I discovered John Paul's Theology of the Body in my early 20s, uh, mid-20s, I guess. I was 24, 23, 24 closer to my mid... Well, it doesn't matter if it's mid or early. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I discovered John Paul's Theology of the Body in my early to mid-20s, and I had big dreams right away. Like, I saw a vision that the world desperately needed this, and I felt called to, to, be, to be a part of bringing this to the world. And I remember sharing my dreams with, with other people, and I got a lot of naysayers, like people, you'll never be able to support a family and do that. Yeah, good luck with that. Uh, yeah, but but I, I, I just kept saying to myself, but I didn't make this up. Like, I think I'm really supposed to give my life to this. So Mason, I want to say to you, you are not making this up. I believe the Lord has put something on your heart and you must, you must pursue it. What shape it takes I have no idea. Um, the shape my life has taken, man, it's gone directions I never imagined it would go. And there were, were failures along the way and, and difficulties and struggles and trials along the way that I never could have imagined. And there will be the same in anyone who takes the Christian life seriously. And I say, Mason, keep going, brother. I'm going to revert to what I said earlier to Pete about the one thing that you must resolve to commit yourself to, my dear brother Mason, and that is prayer. Prayer in the 
earnest way we were talking about, prayer in the sense of opening your deepest longings to the Lord, prayer in the sense of every day spending time in quiet, listening, listening to how the Lord is leading you, listening to what's getting stirred in your heart, listening to the pains, the sorrows, the sufferings, the struggles, the questions, the yearnings of your own heart. And I find it very helpful to journal that stuff out. I have years and years worth of journals where I'm just writing stuff out as a prayer, offering it to the Lord. Uh, That is some form of expressing what's really going on in your heart. I, I would encourage you to find a wise spiritual director who can help you journey in and through your own healing, which will be ongoing. Uh, Here's another very important piece of advice. The best thing you can give the church in the world is not some strength that you have, but what you can give the church in the world is the offering of your weakness to the Lord as the channel through which his strength and power can reach others. I think a big mistake I made early on, just in my my naiveness, uh, my naive understanding of how deep my own brokenness was, I kind of thought that because I had, in my own mind, kind of mastered the Pope's thought on the theology of the body, that that was somehow um, my gift, enough I had I had the gift this was it I get it I've studied it I've I, I I've written books on this I'm, I'm I understand it backwards and forwards and I'm gonna deliver all these talks and I was I was already traveling the world giving lectures and writing books but life hit me hard um, the 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 pain in our marriage hit me hard uh, raising kids and the difficulties of doing that hit me hard uh, and, and compelled me to look at my own brokenness, my own weakness, uh, my own frailty as a human being. We carry these treasures in earthen vessels. <laughs> Let that become your, your, your own anthem, your own foundation for the work that lies ahead of you, that you, you do have a treasure to share, Mason. Absolutely you do, but you carry it in an earthen vessel. And that earthen vessel needs to be continually shaped and formed. So one of my prayers has been, Lord, give me the grace to allow your hands to mold and shape me however you want to mold and shape me, even when it hurts. And I'm telling you, Mason, it's going to hurt because we are, we, are, we, are fa- we are more fallen than we realize. This is not said to discourage anybody. It's said to be realistic. Our fallenness is no obstacle to God's grace working through us so long as we continually open our fallenness as it is revealed to us. A saint after saint tells us that these purifications are required of us, and it doesn't mean something's going wrong. It means something's going right as we recognize our need for purification. So, brother, make peace with the journey. You have quite a journey ahead of you. Uh, if, if we can be of assistance to you at the TOB Institute, we're more than happy to be. I would encourage you to consider possibly either going through our certification program or we have a master's degree in union with Pontifex University. Um, we consider you, we invite you to consider 
studying with us. If we can be of assistance to you on your journey, that's why we are here. We really believe at the TOB Institute, part of our mission, our charism, is to raise up another generation of leaders who, who understand the gift of what has been given by us by St. John, to us by St. John Paul II, and can become effective apostles in sharing it. So we are uh, continually expanding our own formation that we offer our students. So if we can be of any service there, Mason, we, we are more than happy to be. And, and I hold that out to all of our listeners. If you feel a, a, a call to go deeper, maybe you may not have a, a mission in the sense that Mason is feeling he has a mission on his life or a calling in that regard, but all of us need to inject into our bloodstream the gift that John Paul II has given to us in deeper ways. And, and if you feel called to do that, please let us at the TOB Institute be of service to you. Uh, one way to, to receive ongoing formation is to consider becoming a patron of this work. We offer our patrons exclusive ongoing formation in this vision. Uh, and, and check out the link on our courses. It's just another way to, to tap in and go deeper. We're so happy that you are part of this global family of listeners to our podcast. If you were blessed by what you heard today, please share it with someone else. And until we're with you again on our next episode, we always want you to know you are a gift, an indispensable, irreplaceable, unrepeatable gift. Become what you are. is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes.